At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash grad school. Okay, it's day 10. We've just finished watching the Belgium-Tunisia game, 5-2, biggest scoring game of the tournament so far, just ahead of uh, Spain-Portugal. And uh, Belgium got an early goal. One of the things we said early on, Alex, was that, and actually Phil Neville mentioned this um, in the second half as well, uh, is that I suppose if England had managed to put away the myriad of chances that they got in the first half, the game could have looked similar to this one. But Belgium were very impressive, weren't they? Two goals from Ed Nazard, two from Romelu Lukaku, uh, one from Michi Bashwai, um, although it did take him a while to get one. Uh, and uh, a consolation goal for, for Kazri, and I can't remember the uh, first Tunisia scorer. Uh, it was Dylan Bron. Dylan Bron. Oh, yeah, and we remarked... Who uh, then yeah. went off with a nasty-looking injury. Right, OK. Um, well, the result was as expected. Perhaps the... Um, uh, the prolificness of it uh, might be uh, a little bit of a surprise. Belgium were um, scintillating to watch at times, uh, and they're going to be a, a real handful uh, in this tournament, aren't they? Presumably they're going to uh, go through and could go quite far. Yes. I, I well, think actually, they're definitely going through. They're definitely they? going through. And, well, and, yeah, they're definitely going through. There's yes. no way they can't not go through now. There's no way they can't not They've go gone through. through. Yes. Yes, we just Excellent. don't know which way they're going through yet. So let's chat about this game for a bit, and then perhaps we'll, we'll have a think about the, the England-Belgian game, which is going to happen yeah. next Thursday. I should say, traffic noise, apologies for any new listeners. We're upstairs at the Old Red Lion in a temporary space. Uh, thanks again to the Old Red Lion, the landlord and the staff for giving us the space here. But what it does mean is that we are uh, unusually in a loud room, so you might hear a little bit of background noise from the traffic outside, uh, or a little bit of positive atmosphere from the pub downstairs. So... Belgium. I didn't really ask you a question. You didn't really, but I'm going to assume that you were sort of building up to one there. Yeah. Um, Belgium played very, very well on on the front foot. Yeah. Um, They did eventually revert to something which I've talked about them potentially doing uh, either against teams that that pose a bit of an aerial threat, Mm. teams that are likely to come through the middle a bit more by playing... Uh, bringing Fellaini on, yeah, and I think that had a very positive effect because it freed De Bruyne up going forwards, and he could play in the sort of spaces that he's much more used to playing for Man City in. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, um, because this is something that we suggested after the first Belgium game, and I, and I think from the, the the sounds of it, perhaps we should call them rumours. Kevin De Bruyne has suggested as well, uh, perhaps not so as happy sitting deeper and certainly he looked much more impressive in an advanced role however that has to be put into context Belgium were already four goals uh, to one in a game that was you know done and dusted by this point Uh, so you could make the argument that Martinez still might be right for the team overall doing what he's doing with De Bruyne but I mean I think that was sort of Phil Neville's point on the punditry which was that that De Bruyne really ought to be prepared to kind of sacrifice Personal ambition is the wrong way of putting it, but personal preference, shall mm. we say, for the balance of the team. And with this 3-4-3 formation, 
you're not going to drop Hazard. No. That's obvious. No. Your it front would, player... With Mertens in form as well, you're not going to drop him. This is the point. So, effectively, he's Martinez is understandably trying to get his three most creative players plus a striker yeah. into a 3-4-3 formation. Mm. Without suggesting that maybe Mertens could play the Carrasco role, yeah. which I don't think would work because Mertens isn't defensively sound enough. Although he does sort of play you know, quite wide for Lazio. Um, then from that perspective, playing De Bruyne where, he, where he's playing him does make sense. However, yeah. there is a solidity when Fellaini and Wetzel are playing together. Yeah. And De Bruyne is able to really take control of games more. Like you say, it's difficult to fully explain in the context of a game that, you know, Chinesia have become quite loose, quite open at that point. I do think it's worth pointing out that both of those Tunisia goals will give... England something to consider, particularly the the, the, the Kasri one. I mean, I realise it's a consolation goal. It's that it's the seventh goal of the game. Belgium have definitely already won, and it's late on. Perhaps the centre backs have switched off a little bit, but they did the same thing uh, a couple of times throughout the game. Mm. Where I think in this instance it was Boyata and Alderweireld who were uh, tracking Kasri back together both of whom managed to miss his little turn back. Um, yeah. And there was quite a lot of space in the middle of, of the box, so but something that England the, could exploit. Very much that, um, and I think that's particularly effective when England have these late-arriving midfielders, which they do. Yeah. But also the way that whoever it was, and forgive me because I can't remember, but whoever made the run down Tunisia's right-hand side and Carrasco was sort of caught out of position and made a really half-assed effort to block the ball off yeah. by sticking his leg out backwards yeah. in order to then get that cross in. I mean, Kieran Trippier will have looked at that and thought, uh, hello, this is, you yeah. know, there's there's room to exploit this. And with, with Walker pushing across to the flank, as we've talked about, yeah. Trippier getting into positions behind Carrasco, if, yeah. if he can be found, which I'm sure will, will happen at least a few times during the course of that game, yeah. then there's definitely something for England to exploit there. Well, also, in the second half of the England game against Tunisia, much of the uh, intricacy and attacking play was happening down that right flank, particularly after the substitutions between Trippier, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Rashford. That's something that Carrasco might be a little bit nervous about going into that game. <coughs> it's not, I mean, we should make the point that it's not his uh, regular position. It, exactly. So he's, adapt, he's, he's trying to adapt to something new. Yeah, and, and what's crucial about that is that unlike many of the other positions, there isn't really a natural alternative there. No. Um, Jan Vertonghen, arguably, if they played a back four. Yes, and that would actually, if you're Belgium, yeah. that's the sensible move against England, well, is I was to move gonna, to a back four. I was going to ask you if that's something that they might consider doing. Yeah, and I think they could, um, I think they could put Jordan Lukaku possibly on the left-hand side as well. Yeah. If he's in the squad, right? <laughs> they won't be able to if he's not in the squad, will they? <laughs> Shall I check that before I say it? Well, Jan Vertonghen certainly played uh, left back at, at points throughout his career. They have uh, they had Vincent Company on the bench today. Uh, they also have Boyata and Alderweireld who can both play in uh, central defence. So it's not inconceivable that that could be the case. It's not. I'm just looking up whether Jordan Lukaku is it. He's not. Uh, well, they can't play him there then, Alex. Unfortunately, I hate to break it to you, those be the rules. 
Yeah, that's that's silly. So they've got uh, the Marlin has played on the left side of of a central defence before. Yeah, a push I suppose could go out there, but is I mean that wouldn't be a sensible move. Well, I mean if companies fit, you would imagine, and if they did want to move to a back four, company and Alderweireld in the middle, Yambatongan on the left. Yeah, right. I mean, but there isn't otherwise somebody that can really slot into that left-hand side, maybe Chadley at a stretch, but mm. you'd have the same issues yeah. that you have with Carrasco. You'd just be dealing with a less all-round accomplished player. Do you think they will consider switching to a back four, or do you think they'll stay with the system? I mean, because also uh, three at the back, V three at the back. It, I mean, as we've seen from the Premier League in the last season or two, many teams uh, who came up against that Conte's first Chelsea side, uh, who were sort of uh, sweeping through the league two seasons ago, Many of the teams uh, decided the best way to counter them was to also play it three at the back and match them up. Yeah. So the, you, there's also an argument to say that their the, their current formation is perhaps the best one, lacking a surprise element. It's what we talked about yesterday with Nigeria Iceland, yeah. because Nigeria switched to a back three with wing backs. They were able to outman Nigeria, uh, outman Iceland in every aspect of, of mm. the pitch area. So. If if Belgium were to switch to a back four, they would suffer similar issues in at least one area of the pitch. Mm. So the sensible move probably is to play the way they've been playing and be but confident about at it. At the same time, yeah. whoever's playing in that, that left and it will probably be Witzel playing yeah. in that left central midfield role. He will really need to get across to help Carrasco out. The, I mean the argument there is well, that way. Yeah. What happens is that he could well open the kind of that inside channel, the Deli Ali Lingard place. Exactly. Yeah. So well, we're not. I mean, so we're not really sure. We've seen the uh, that long lens photograph of the England lineup. Not certain that either of those players will start. There was a it was a, a shout for oh, this. Sorry, this is the Panama game, isn't it? But yeah. in the Panama game, there was a shout for Ruben Loftus Cheek starting. Maybe Marcus Rashford, Jamie Vardy was looking like he might get a chance as well. Um, so we can't be certain how England are going to line up. It'll be interesting to come back to this conversation tomorrow and chat about it after the England. But I game. think England will probably do against Panama what Belgium did in in the later stages of this game, which is to bring on one or two players, mm. maybe even start one or two players yeah. who are possibles for later stages in the tournament, who maybe you want to just give a little bit of extra match sharpness to. Yeah. So in the first game, I think Thorgan Hazard came on as a substitute, Chadley came on as a substitute mm. in this game. Different substitutes. Tielemans, yeah. Batchway. Um, so Martinez doing a good job so far? So far, I think it's... With a, with a squad of that quality, yeah. it would be hard to not have won those two games quite comfortably. Yeah, and Phil Neville did make the point that the Belgian press uh, will be and have been saying, uh, yep, they're doing well, but not against any big sides yet, and that's a stumbling block for, stumbling block for Belgium in the last um, few years at least. Yeah, I mean, someone tweeted earlier, you know, this is a great Belgium side, they're absolutely stacked full of talent, but they still look like they've got a Wales game in them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you kind of feel like... There's there's just something about there's a kind of an openness mm. to aspects of that. That again, you know, De Bruyne is a is a wonderful wonderful player. We were talking the other day off air about 
um, David De Gea and, and were there any other Premiership players that were arguably yeah. the best players in their position in the world and I, I think potentially De Bruyne is in that conversation mm. but when he's playing at Man City there is another central defender and there's Fernandinho behind mm. and there's fullbacks that are pushing up and in yeah. and there's very hard working wide players De Bruyne's he's not a bad defensive player but you don't want him concentrating on the defensive aspects of the game in a midfield double pivot. Mm. And you especially don't want that against the kind of fluid central midfield that England are very likely to start. It's a bit like the, the conversation we've had a few times about Paul Pogba at Man United, isn't yeah. it? Yes, mm. I think so. It's it's about, you know, the, the the flip side to that argument is, oh, well, the best players in the world should be able to adapt. Yeah and play in whatever system. And I think you can look at what De Bruyne has done in the, the first 60 minutes of that game before he's moved up the pitch and say, well, that's exactly what he has done. He's played yeah. brilliantly in a role that he is not altogether used to. Yeah. Having said that, it's also incumbent on the coach to look at the players that are available to him and create a system yeah. that maximises the potential of the best of those players. Yeah. And I think there's an argument to say that Martinez is not doing that and that while Fellaini is absolutely not as good a player as any of the ones that might be potentially dropped for him, yeah. for the benefit of the solidity of the team, that is a sensible move against England. Yeah, OK, that will, will be interesting to see. Um, I don't really buy into that idea of uh, the best players have to adapt because I think, I think the, um, the best players are adapting are are good at adapting, you know, but it's a team game, and it makes me think of... Um, I'm not saying it's a counter-argument I agree with. No, no, it's yeah. The thing, it's the thing that people say about Pogba. Oh, well, you know, if he costs that much and he's supposed to be so bloody good, why can't he play in a two-man midfield? It's the idea of... There's a sort of old compliment of a football player that, oh, you could put them anywhere on the pitch and they'll be great. But at the very top level of football, that's not really true for, for, for really any player. Um, and also, I think, presumably, the idea is... Uh, about finding um, the right positions for the right players in the setup of a team rather than for that player specifically. So the, the, the whole conversation about uh, best players in the world is sort of redundant anyway, as, as you know, we're kind of seeing, um, and this isn't a dig at Lionel Messi at all, but as we're seeing with players like Messi um, at tournaments like this and different teams and their, their club team, they play slightly differently. Because they're surrounded by different players in a different setup, and, yeah, you know. and that's that. As a as a total aside, is one of the reasons why buying a player after a really good performance at a World Cup is pointless. Unless you play exactly the same. Unless Burnley and, are going to buy Finn Bogerson from right. from Iceland. There there are very occasional examples where you're you're right in, yeah. in that sort of instance. Yes. Yeah. Um, although they'd be probably better off buying someone like you know. Um, what's his name? Gislason. Oh, Gislason. He's in the Bundesliga, isn't he? Um, I'm yeah. going to be honest and say I don't know where he, he is. He's, he plays in the Bundesliga. I can't remember what team it is. He sort of he strode into this World Cup for mm. me like Thor appearing out of mm. a cloud of dust when he's just landed from Edrisil or wherever he lives. There was some funny commentary yesterday. I can't remember who it might have been. Glenn Hoddle. I can't remember who it was, but. Um, the, uh, the the commentator said, uh, "Oh, by the way, Giz Larson in his spare time is a, is a model, mm. which is pretty obvious if you look at him." And uh, whoever the co-commentator was, it might have been might have been Kevin Kilbane actually. He said something like, "Well, as long as he's a model professional today," and I did a bit of sick in my mouth. And um, that's a bad line, room. isn't it? That yes. is a bad line. But uh, 
Called yeah, Limey, he's, he's attractive. He's a beautiful man. Yeah, not surprised at all to find that he's a model. Okay, well, we're going to watch the rest of the games. I think the next game, South Korea, Mexico. I believe it is. Oh, right? Korea, Republic, Mexico. I've got my Mexico shirt on. Yes, um, I've got my Korea, Republic shirt on. Not true, I'm wearing a pink Florida t-shirt. Because with a, with a turtle on the shoulder. Just one, because I'm supporting Florida at this tournament. Uh, and the evening game is Germany, Sweden. Yes. Okay. Tell you what, Alex. Let's is it? do. I think it is. Yeah. What's the date today? I don't know. Twenty third. It's day ten. No. <coughs> Germany, Mexico. Uh, Germany, Sweden's next. Yeah, but is that true? Because I don't trust this wall chart. I don't know either. Uh, I thought that they split the groups up at this point. What game did we just watch? I don't know what's happening. No, no. It's those are definitely two games that are happening today. I just don't know. But the order. are they from the same group? Yes. This is not interesting podcast chat, is it? What I really okay, wanted right. from you well, was a prediction. Edit this out. Well, I'm not going to edit this out because I, I, I'm too busy. Right. Um, Korean Republic, Mexico is at four. That'll be a 3-1 win to, to uh, Mexico. I was uh, going to do a Joe Devine there. So that is the next... Uh, that is the next... Correct. Yeah. So... You're saying 3-1... Mexico. Yeah. Uh, then it's Germany, Sweden. Uh-huh. 1-0 Germany right at the end. Are you ready for my predictions? You're going to go for 3-1 Sweden. No, 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 no. I'm going to go... Hear me, hear me out. Okay. okay. Korea Republic... My brain doesn't work, Alex. I can't retain information anymore after ten days of this. They are playing Mexico. Correct. I have retained that. And uh, Mexico are going to win that game. Yeah. I think they're going to win that game. Okay, good. 3-0. We've agreed on something for once. 3-0. Um, and then the Germany-Sweden game. <laughs> I think it's going to be 2-2. Okay. Yeah. That's not that out of the... Do you know, know what? In my head, before I said Germany 1-0, I yeah. was thinking 2-2. I think it might be 2-2. I've just got a feeling, and that's what podcasts are all about, gut feeling, Yeah, you know, and being upstairs at the Old Red Lion Theatre on a lovely sunny Saturday. It is quite sunny, isn't hey, it? Hey, if you're in London, do come on down, the Old come Red Lion Theatre, send us a little tweet, maybe we'll come down and say hello. No one's tweeted us yet, um, so I I'm wonder... I'm a bit offended by that. So am I, I thought there'd be more people. But uh, someone did, actually, no, that's not right, someone tweeted us from Australia and said that they'd definitely come down if they were closer, but it was a bit far. Um, and I'm sorry I can't remember your name, that's, but I that's did chuckle at that Yeah, it is reasonable. But also, Just about. Why, why would you bother saying it? Well, well it's a lovely thing to say. <laughs> someone, someone saying thanks for the podcast. Oh no, thanks for this the podcast. This is why no one's I... coming down, Alex. They don't, want, they don't want you to go, why have you come here? Oh, you idiot. Oh my God, this fly is annoying me. Right, okay, well we'll be back in a little bit um, to uh, talk about the other games that are happening, of which I've already forgotten. Right, yeah, uh, that's the end of the Korea Republic Mexico game. Uh, a very interesting affair, slightly different test for Mexico, but they came through all the same goals from Carlos Vela and Javier Hernandez, and a delightful uh, stunner at the end from Son Hyun Ming in the 93rd minute, I think it was. A really lovely goal. This was an interesting game, Alex. It was a different proposition, as we said, for the Mexican side, who managed to beat Germany um, in their first game. A surprising result there. This one slightly less surprising, um, but would have taken a whole lot of different different sorts of abilities from the Mexican squad to get this result. They managed it. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is that this is 
one of the few games this tournament where we've seen two sides line up both in a four-two-three-one, which is uh, you know certainly a season ago uh, probably the most common formation you can find certainly in European football um, and often in the Premier League. But we haven't seen too much of it, uh, or at least we haven't seen its um, dominance. Uh, in this World Cup so far, have we? Did that give us something else to look out for in the game? What, what, what are the what are the trademarks, the hallmarks of uh, two four two three ones lining up against each other, with uh, reference to the Mexican and the South Korean players? <coughs> <coughs> Fabulous analysis from Alex Stewart. There. <laughs> Kids, don't smoke. Um, Mexico's four two three one is not a standard four two three one. Okay. Um, so, at, at times, it it looked a lot more like they were playing three at the back, uh-huh. because Alvarez, who was the nominal right-back, is more of a centre-back, uh, indeed can even play as a kind of very deep-line defensive midfielder. Yeah. Whereas Gallardo, who is the left-back, is a converted winger. I so think you should he, say it, Gallardo. Gallardo. There you go. So he gets forward an awful lot. Right. Leun, who I thought was very, very impressive, and who apparently had a tenure at Watford mm. that we were both unaware of. Um, he's There's probably a long list of players <laughs> who've had a tenure at Watford that we we're unaware of. Yeah, I suspect that's true. Um, he, he has played as a right-back, as a right midfielder, and as a right winger. So he's able to drop back a little bit. Mm-hmm. is able to push up. And what that means is that Mexico can can kind of shift and flex from a four at the back to a three at the back, depending on what they need to do under the given circumstances. Okay. Um, Korean Republics is a, is a lot more, I suppose, conservative in a way, mm-hmm. um, with uh, you know, a deep-lying midfield pivot, key particularly, who um, Premier League fans will be aware of from his time at Swansea, who's a very sort of measured... And Sunderland. Was he at Sunderland? I think he was. I don't think he was. I think he was. You keep talking and I'll look. Um, and then you know you're, you're inside forwards kind of cutting in um, by playing Son up front uh, I think Korea Republic tried to get their you know their best you're now nodding and smiling <laughs> because he had a what three games at Sunderland or something no he, he went on loan to Sunderland for the whole of the 2013-14 season how on earth and, uh, do you remember he that he scored three goals made 27 appearances how, I don't know how I remember that That's I've got an uncanny weird. memory okay. for you know, things, things like that. I stand super corrected. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they, they were trying to get Son into dangerous positions. Who started up front in this game. Exactly, kind of one-on-one with them, the Mexican back line, maybe because they felt they could uh, exploit his pace against the central defenders. Um, I think particularly in the latter stages, that started to tell. What Mexico did in this game, which is what they also did against Germany, is... When it gets to about seventy minutes, they kind of retranch into a five-four-one, mm-hmm. and uh, they brought on a kind of more traditional right back, shifted Alvarez inside, played Rafael Marquez as a, as a kind of sweeper because mm-hmm. he's a good passer of the ball, um, and Son running against those players as Mexico started to tie did work. Mm. But by that time, Mexico already had a grip on the game, so it it wasn't making much of a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, Mexico looked, I think, in some ways to play quite similar to how they did against Germany. It was a lot of counter-attacking, a lot of strong build-up on the left-hand side, where they appear to be um, 
at their best, particularly with Lozano, with Gallardo getting forward, um, Guardado being able to play it out quite quite easily and mm. um, to that that left hand side for the attack. Uh, Chicharito was as before, you know, kind of a busy and effective presence up front, and we were talking about him perhaps wanting to leave West Ham and, mm. and how I would love to have him at Southampton because mm. what what we need is someone who can score goals. Would he suit the system at Southampton not to take a tangent here? A quite um, niche and boring one, but quite still. niche and boring. Um I I think in terms of having a, a, a focal point who can we we don't look our best when we kind of lump crosses in, yeah. and it did work when Pella had a really good first season with us. But Graziano. as we've moved away from that incredibly handsome man yeah. to to playing it more on the floor, um, did he become the best paid player in the world for a while? Uh, yeah, when he moved to China. Yeah, yeah uh, I think that's correct. Um, well, he's got the looks for it. Uh, so yeah, no, I think I think he probably would because you know we've seen. We've seen Tadic at this tournament play very well, yeah. and you know he's one of Southampton's main creators. I, I, someone like Hernandez who can get onto those little through balls and yeah. finish properly, or Lewandowski or someone like that. Yeah, that would be all right. Yeah. That would be fine, yeah. wouldn't it? That would be all right. Well, we say that, uh, but I've just been taking a look at the uh, the group standings thus far. It's a silly time to do this because uh, as it stands, we're only halfway through Group F, um, but uh, Groups A through E. And now uh, finalised, uh, well, all have played two games, let's say. Uh, Mexico have joined the group of teams that have earned six points from their first two games. Um, and it's, a, it's an interesting list. There are a couple of teams in there that you would expect. Uruguay, for example, uh, they haven't been fantastic, but we could have looked at that group beforehand and said, OK, six points after two games looks about right. France, again, the same story, really, haven't been fantastic, but in the group they're in... Um, short of you know potentially stuttering to Peru, which they didn't do in the end, six points seems uh, about right for where they are now. However, the other teams uh, on six points, Russia, of course, um, who perhaps we wouldn't have expected before the tournament, Croatia, um, which on the surface uh, sounds reasonable, but then given that they just played Argentina, you might have thought beforehand that would only... Uh, well, six points might have been overachieving. And that's it so far. I mean, Germany yet to play their second game. Zero points still. Brazil on four. So Mexico um, are doing very well, aren't they? I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I was going to ask you about Hernandez. We talked about him just then. At yeah. ago, but I, I think the point I'm trying to make is that Mexico's six points... Um, I think the point I'm trying to make is that Mexico's six points, along with sides like Croatia and, and Russia, uh, Croatia less so, um, really sort of uh, symbolise how this tournament so far has been, well, given us a lot of unexpected results. And we were talking about this a bit yesterday. I can't remember if we mentioned it on the podcast, but you were saying uh, that you had a... You had a, uh, a no, you did talk about this on the podcast, didn't you? You had a look at the results that you predicted beforehand and then based on uh, if every favourite was to win 1-0, what would it look like? And only half the games have turned out as we'd expected. Um, and uh, I think Mexico being on six points at the top of their group... It's quite a positive outcome from that because they're a great team. They've been a lot of fun to watch. Certainly, they were against Germany, and at times again they were tantalising. Today, I'd like to see them go quite far. Would you? Yeah, uh, we did in our group preview. We did say that they would would come second in that group. Yeah. Um, I think potentially that could still happen. I mean, the Germany lineup's been released now as we're um, we're waiting for that game, and and it seems like. 
by bringing Sebastian Rudy in, um, sticking Royce out and moving mm. Draxler centrally, um, Joachim Lowe has kind of reacted to the issues that they had against Mexico. So I think I would have expected Mexico to finish with six points. Yeah. I don't. I would not have expected them to have six points at this stage. And Sweden is a different test yet again, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, Sweden will be, you know, they'll be tough to break down. They They have a system that is... I suppose quite familiar now because they they're pretty conservative in the way they play and they stick reasonably rigidly to that game plan. Just to be clear, if Sweden now given the Mexico result, if Sweden beat Germany today, mm. that's it for Germany. Yes, and I think even a draw would would make it quite difficult yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, so you know this 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 Sweden side could get a draw against Germany. Mm. Uh, or well, put it this way. I think if this Sweden side were playing the Germany that that played against Mexico, mm. they could potentially get a draw. I think this Germany side does look more solid and settled. And, and again, we, we addressed this in our Germany preview video, that with this, with the exception of Rudy and and a kind of ageing, leggy Kadira, there, there's not really a natural ball winner in that Germany side. And they obviously, in that first game, they thought, well, if we just keep possession all of the time if we control the tempo of the game and we have more of the ball then that will be sufficient and they were they were shown clearly against Mexico that, that that's not the case so i don't you know i i suspect they'll they'll seek to play more or less the same way against Sweden mm. whether Sweden have the the pace out wide to break it's not in Sweden's natural instinct to break quickly they no. tend to look for Inside balls back to the fullbacks and then longer balls up the side. Yeah. Um, so it's not that maybe Sweden need to slightly move out of their comfort zone here to mm-hmm. pose Germany a problem. Um, Here's something exciting for you, Alex. Yeah. Okay. If we are to assume, and I think it's fairly, you know, well, maybe not. I mean, we, we, we are, I should start talking before I uh, doubt what I'm about to say. Uh, we are making a video about Serbia and Brazil and the chances that Serbia have to beat Brazil. You might be able to give me a little bit more information about how uh, stacked you think the odds are in Brazil's favour, potentially. But let's go with the hypothetical, for example, uh, for now, sorry, that Brazil finished top of Group E. Um, if Mexico can manage to stay top of Group F, which is a reasonable expectation at the moment, and Germany somehow pull out the bag... Uh, get results from their next two fixtures and finish second. We might see a Brazil Germany game uh, in the ra- in the knockout round, the first round of the knockout round, which would be quite exciting. Um, and also, it might mean that Mexico uh, can avoid meeting Brazil. Might meet Switzerland, for example, potentially Serbia, depending on how that group falls out. So, firstly, I suppose Brazil Germany would be quite exciting. I think we should hope that happens. Uh, and also, um, Mexico, I mean, could go quite far, couldn't they? Yes, Mexico. Mexico could. I mean, I sort of half jokingly said they could win. I don't think they can. They'll have to get past England first. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or, or Belgium. Um, but it's the way that that draw is opening up. And yes, like you say, we've, we've been making a video today on Serbia against Brazil, and there are absolutely areas that Serbia can look to exploit, yeah. and it's not. By any stretch of the imagination, beyond the bounds of possibility that Serbia could pull that that off. Okay, well, they, they, they have aspects of that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to. But mm. I, the, the, there are aspects to 
their shape and their natural abilities and what they did against Switzerland yeah. that lend themselves to working well against Brazil. How exciting. So that could be amazing. It's shaping up real fine and proper. And it is entirely possible, if still unlikely, mm. that uh, Germany might not get through, Brazil could even not get through, mm. which... Again, you know, because Switzerland have looked really, really impressive. If Switzerland beat Costa Rica and Serbia beat Brazil, yeah, it's it's uh, what do they call it? Curtains, curtains for, curtains Brazil. for Brazil. Could be curtains for Brazil. Could Can be you imagine for two, two of the oh. two of the real favourites mm. before the tournament struggling to get out of the groups, mm. which is kind of remarkable. And, and I suppose in a way that puts into context things like France against Peru. You know, Peru are a really good team. They lacked a cutting edge, but but France have kind of gone through those performances. It's been a bit perfunctory, and it's not mm. it's not looked great. But they've been getting it done. Yeah. And again, England, likewise, from the performance we've seen so far, Belgium very much so. Um, although they look I mean, like they've got a wreck in them, but not Germany, not Brazil. You know, Spain stuttered a bit against Portugal. Yeah. Well, depending on the outcome of the Nigeria-Argentina game, uh, France is set to meet either one of those teams. If we imagine that Croatia are going to beat Iceland... Yes. Okay, well then that means that France are highly likely to play either Nigeria or Argentina. Either one of those games will be quite exciting. It's getting exciting, isn't it? It is it's getting, getting exciting. exciting. And, and again... I, I Argentina-France! Mean, God knows what's going to happen with Argentina, but I can totally see Nigeria pulling that one out of the bag well, as well. This is, this, is the, this is the best thing about this World Cup so far, because we, we're not missing out on big games, right? If the big teams are managing to get through after stutters in early, in early games in the group stages, they, often they might be going through second, which means that we get a lot of big games in the first <laughs> round of 16... Uh, and also, that means that by virtue of the fact that the big teams are sort of sucking together in a gravitational pull, we're going to see some of the smaller teams go further yeah. in the tournament. You get all of the best stuff this way. I also think it's worth saying that so far, none of the big teams that have failed mm. either to, uh, well, failed to win, either by drawing or losing, none of that has been unfair. Mm. It, not uh, by fairness, what do I mean? There haven't been... Were England to, were draw, England to have drawn, that would have been unfair yeah. due to the, the Kane penalty scenario. Yeah. Um, but in every other instance, where teams... Brazil against Switzerland. Switzerland played brilliantly. Yeah. Brazil didn't do enough. Yeah. Germany were outplayed by Mexico. Um, you know, These are not results where those nations can look at it and go... You know, it, 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 we got a bad call here, or mm. something should have gone our way there. This is, this is very canny management. It's football by the smaller sides. Yeah, it's in some instances maybe a bit of arrogance. I would say from the Germans against Mexico, mm-hmm. it's tactical chaos for Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, it's superb defensive work, uh, particularly by Valen Barami, but Switzerland in general against Brazil. Mm-hmm. So here's a tweet I saw the other day. I can't remember. Uh, forgive me for not remembering who who said this, uh, but someone tweeted saying something along the lines of, "Isn't it great that there are lots of um, uh, smaller teams who are set up very defensively and and are making it difficult for the bigger teams to score?" On the one hand, on the other hand, why weren't the bigger teams prepared for this? And if they yeah. were, why aren't why aren't they managing it better? Because this is something that we see regularly in in the Premier League, for example. Absolutely. Every weekend, we see smaller teams. 
uh, you know, lining up, setting up to make it difficult for the opposition to score, and the opposition still do score most of the time. So, yeah. what what what's what's happening here? Is it a case of um, a sort of underappreciation of what the smaller teams are doing? It's not just sitting behind the ball. There are other things involved. Or is it fair to just say in situations like this, with less coaching time for bigger teams, with more pressure on the well, more pressure on every team, that uh, making it difficult. Uh, it's maybe easier to make it difficult for a bigger team to score than it would be in a regular uh, domestic league season. I think there's certainly something to that. Um, it's really tricky because I I don't want to infer from the way the punder trick occurs that the, the same sorts of cliches around the smaller teams are applied by coaches of the bigger teams. You know, just because Slavan Bilic or Martin Keown thinks certain things thinks that Panama are delighted to see goals like this sure uh, you know I, I'm not saying that that uh, Gareth Southgate or Chicho or Yogi Lowe think that way uh, I think they're probably too switched on for that having said that I think it can be difficult to anticipate the degree to which performing at a World Cup can elevate a team's performance yeah um, so far I would say we've probably seen two situations where a better side has come up against that sort of defensive performance and adapted sufficiently well to be able to win. Yeah. Which is England, Tunisia and Brazil, Costa Rica. Yeah. In both of those instances, the sides made changes. And there were late goals. And there were late goals, and that was the result of that dominance eventually telling. Mm. And I think it's interesting to note that Brazil played with a degree of patience in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, they made aggressive changes... You know, uh, Firmino for Paulinho, particularly aggressive mm. as changes go. England were able to uh, to compress the pitch area, keep working it forwards, mm. and again be patient. And maybe sometimes it's that the bigger teams are rushing it. There's an expectation that they'll be able to do it, and they're just trying to get it done. Mm. Maybe uh, sometimes the in-game management isn't as secure. If they're not working with these players as regularly... I think maybe there's less confidence about their ability to to fit into certain match situations mm-hmm. and to be able to do what's required to get a breakthrough. So I think in tournament football, I mean, look, we, we saw Serbia-Switzerland last night. That was, Serbia lost that game in part because of the substitutions that were made. Mm. So, yeah, okay, two really, really good individual goals as well. But when Serbia went to press the game, they did so in such a way as to leave them really open to counterattacks, mm. and despite still dominating uh, possession, they they just didn't. Yeah. It it was it was frustrating to see those tweaks have an impact mm. that, that meant they lost the game, mm-hmm. um, and it's not noticeable that a lot of tactical shifts have been in game have been particularly successful. I'd add Martinez's. Uh, bringing on a Fellaini today mm. obviously Belgium were not pushing or looking to press that game because they were already comfortably ahead but it was a switch that made sense under the circumstances mm-hmm. and De Bruyne flourished playing 15 yards higher up the pitch yeah. so that that's another good example of where it's worked yeah. but we haven't seen a lot of that from the bigger teams No, um, we have seen a lot of it from the smaller teams Apologies, Alex. That's all right. So Costa Rica using um, Borges to come on to retain possession, or 
the various in-game tweaks that Asario makes for Mexico. Yeah. You know, these these have worked. Yeah. Um, and I would never be uh, presumptuous enough to suggest that those coaches, because they're working with smaller teams, do their homework better and think more thoroughly about these things. You could make an argument to say that they have less choices, therefore are happier with the choices that they can make. And they maybe have to think more about how to work with what they've got because they yeah. don't have quite so many people to th- to kind of pick from that are of that level. Well, I don't really thing. know. Look, there's some psychological... Uh, well, there's evidence of psychological studies that would support the fact that people with uh, less choices are broadly happy with the choices that they make. Yes, and probably make more astute ones as well. I don't know about that. But okay. Uh, well, let's... I mean, let's just say that. <laughs> let's just invent... Let's just invent... <laughs> let's just invent a, a branch of psychiatry. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Remind me what you said uh, for the Germany-Sweden game. I remember I said 2-2. Two, two. You said 2-2. Two, two. You said 1-0. I said 1-0, but having in my head before you said 2-2, two, two, also thinking have, that... No, you can't say that, because now if it's a 2-2, two, two, you're going to be riding my coattails. I'm not going to ride your coattails. Um, I, 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 think, I think Germany will edge this. Right. Okay, I think Germany will edge it for 70 minutes and then Sweden will score a second goal and it'll 2 2 and it'll, uh, oh, it's going to be fantastic. Right, we'll come back after that game and chat about that. You listeners will already, of course, know the results, so we probably both sound like idiots. Uh, right, chat in a bit. Well, well, well. It was a thrilling game. Sweden, Germany. Uh, we were convinced, as I'm sure. By the looks on the faces of the Swedish fans, they were too, as I'm sure many of you were, uh, that that game was going to end in a draw. Uh, but for a Tony Kroos 95th minute free kick, which was a delightful free kick, um, although you made the point that no one should be scoring from there, um, well, I'm not even really sure what to make of it. I, uh, I feel a little bit deflated. I thought it was going to be funny. And the, the troll in me wanted Germany to go out, not for any uh, hatred of Germany, but uh, purely because I thought it would be amusing. But um, they managed it, although we were chatting a little bit after the game and you said they didn't really solve many of the problems from the first game, uh, but they squeezed by here, so perhaps that's enough to uh, give them a little bit of extra time to solve some of those problems in the next game. Possibly. Uh, Obviously, they'll be sweating on the Rudy injury. Um, uh, I'm guessing from the look of it, it's a... A broken nose. I think it. Yeah, so, I, I didn't actually see him go off, but I assume that might have been because of incessant bleeding. Yeah. Um, so that, in all likelihood, he should be fit. And uh, I mean, it, it sort of solved their issues a bit. Um, and you know, he he did reasonably well. He did get caught in possession once, which opened them up to the counter attack. The, the issue is they are still very much playing as if there's this kind of incredible confidence in mm. Jerome Bertang and the other centre-half in this instance Rudiger, who is a bit quicker than Hummels mm. um, to kind of bail them out of any issues and, and Hector is a much he's a left-back who's more integrated with this team so he got used a lot more than Plattenhardt did in the first game Kimmich mm. was still playing as a right-winger effectively um, so in terms of the, the possessional issues the openness to counter-attacking uh, no, they didn't really learn from the Mexico game at, at all. Um, no. Sweden, a little less well set up to exploit that, uh, although they tried. Um, and I think Germany can count themselves very lucky, really. Yeah, well, I suppose there are two ways of looking at this. 
One is that they can count themselves lucky that Boateng had a stonker, Kimmich didn't play very well, there were an awful lot of crosses and passes that were kicked straight into the stands, and Tony Kroos, you know, all for his um, 95th minute screamer of a free kick, uh, certainly in the first half and early second half, misplaced two or three very easy midfield passes when he was under no pressure. There seemed to be lots of errors and uh, mistakes in this Germany team. The other way of looking at it is that they maintained the pressure despite going ten uh, down to ten men. They didn't, you know, one or two moments where they looked like maybe Sweden had a break on, but they kept the pressure up and they got the second goal. Um, in some ways you could look at that a little bit like the England result, perhaps without the system being uh, the, uh, the, the reason for that. Yes, I think... <sighs> I think there was a moment, uh, I don't know, maybe a minute or so before that free kick was given away by Dermas, um, where a Swedish player, I think it's Forsberg, could have squared to Gadetti, who basically would have then had an open goal, yeah. um, and Forsberg shot instead. It might have been the other way around. Or it could have been the other way yeah. around. Um, and that, that, to me, is the issue with this Germany performance is they're effectively one good decision away from going out of the World Cup yeah. or one bad decision away which, whichever way you look at it um, they yes they, they did muster a degree of pressure but always by doing that and the, the, it was the same thing when, when Gomez came on and yeah, within a minute or two of half time they'd scored off Marco Royce's knee uh, you know that that might look like a good tactical move to yeah. go to kind of more of a four four two, but Germany's issue was not the number of players they had forward in terms of not having enough players. Germany's issue was the number of players they had forward not having enough back. Yeah. So, in a way, you know this this to me glosses over those errors. And yes, okay, they showed a certain spirit and they were able to maintain pressure and. You know, it was a good finish from Kroos at the end, which probably will overshadow what was otherwise, you're right, a, a poor performance. And, mm. you know, I said in, in Kroos's defence, at Real Madrid, he's used to playing alongside Casemiro, who's a much, much more natural ball winner and shielder, and Luka Modric. So it's a different style of play that's asked of Kroos for his club side than for his national side. But that doesn't excuse poor passing. No. That doesn't excuse poor decision-making. No. So... I think Germany... and in this instance, you know, sure he's 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 only playing with one other midfielder initially in in, in Rudy and mm. then in uh, Gundogan, yeah, in Gundogan, um, but he's surrounded by Thomas Müller, Marco Reus, Julian Draxler, Timo Werner. It's not like he's in the middle of a bad team either. No, absolutely not. Um, I I think in, I, when I say that, what I mean is in terms of the role that he's expected to play. Yeah adds a few elements that are outside of his natural skill set in terms of defensive positioning um, that isn't really much of what he does and maybe maybe the the physical demands of that caused him to have lapses in concentration that then meant he misplaced passes I'm I'm not really Mm. sure but you know this this is a German side that yeah okay we're we're going into the, the last set of games we you know, we would expect Mexico um, to be able to beat Sweden. We would expect Germany to be able to beat South Korea Republic. So in that regard, the group has shaped up as we thought it would. Mm. 
but with Mexico on top and Germany second. Yeah. It, it, it is a fairly limited Sweden side. Mm. It is a fairly limited Korea Republic side. Um, and certainly against Sweden, Germany showed the same vulnerabilities they did against Mexico, mm. and, and they rode their luck. Yeah. Do, do, you, do you think with Germany, then, those vulnerabilities um, are, the, are the sort that can be solved in the next game, or are they the type that might uh, persist throughout the knockout stages if they do make it further? Well, I'd say persist in the sense that um, we talked outside before the podcast when we were having a, a cigarette about the paucity of options in the Germany squad you know there isn't another natural right back Kimmich did not have a good game defensively there isn't another Rudy you know there's there's no natural I mean Goretzka is pretty good in that central midfield position but mm. again he is used to playing alongside somebody who does that more Yeah. so if Rudy is a bit shaken up with a broken nose or can't play or has to come off again mm-hmm. you're not going to put Kadira back in there so unless you, you really have to well, you you kind of have to, but again, that's not what Gundogan's there for. Gundogan's not a ball-winning player. He's mm. he's a player who's used to being in a pressing midfield, but with somebody much more solid alongside him. So, would you change up the system? I mean, would you change the formation? I'd pray that Rudy's not injured, yeah, um, and that he can play. I and I think I think there's an argument potentially <coughs> for for swapping to more of a four-three-three. Mm. Um, I think if you had Rudy, Kroos and Goretzka, for example. Goretzka mm. can get forward, he adds a goal threat, uh, he can move forwards into that number 10 position, mm-hmm. um, he can also play make from deeper. Yeah, so you can move Royce over to the left, drop Draxler perhaps? Yes, or, or keep Draxler and drop yeah. Royce. Yeah. Uh, th- those would seem to be the options. I think that would give them greater solidity they wouldn't lose out an awful lot going forwards. But yeah. going forwards isn't their problem. No. You know, if you've got Thomas Muller, if you've got Timo Werner, if you've got Tony Cruz, you are going to create opportunities. Yeah. The issue is how many you give away. Mm. And against teams that are quicker and more clinical than Sweden, Sweden are not a pacey side. Mm. Um, you know, you just have to look at Marcus Berg up front. Yeah. It's, so, so what do they do uh, in, in defence then? Because um, Boateng... Is going to miss the next game. I'm not certain how the rule applies in, in the World Cup tournament. Two yellows rather than a straight red. Uh, let's just assume, for example, he's just going to miss the one game. Yeah. How do Germany line up in uh, in in defence next? Week? I mean, do they? Is it just a, a straight case of swapping Boateng and Hummels and and keeping Rudiger in? You would think <coughs> so. Yes, uh, unless Hummels was left out for reasons other than mm. a kind of a tactical form selection. Yeah. Um, Nicholas Sula is there as an option yeah. he's very quick he's very strong but he's a lot less internationally experienced than those other players mm. so you would expect Rudiger and Hummels to play alongside each other mm-hmm. um, Rudiger's speed should be able to compensate for Hummels a little bit there mm-hmm. but then you know Hummels and Bertang have a very consistent quite long-term working relationship so they understand each other particularly with Kimmich outside and with Neuer behind that's you know that's Bayern's that's four of Bayern's starting back five so you know you could have a degree this is one of the things that I've said before about other teams that don't rotate and then suddenly have to make a change Mm. where the rest of the squad is just not used to the experience of playing at a World Cup or hasn't got game time up to this point you know if 
if Kimmich gets injured for Germany, they don't have somebody to go in that position and play yeah. naturally. So yeah. that to me was <coughs> the advice to Korea Republic then would it injure <laughs> injure Joshua Kimmich. Kick the crap out of Kimmich <laughs> and then pour yourself down your own left flank, yeah. Well listen, um golden generation is a term that is overused, um and for want of a better term, I would uh <coughs> describe, you know, the, 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 the team four and eight years ago for Germany as something of a golden generation. Is this team missing uh, Philipp Lahm, Bastian Schweinsteiger, players like that? Um, I mean, more so than in any sense that any team would miss players of such high quality. Right. I, I think possibly that's part of it. Um, and I think Schweinsteiger's kind of defensive positional sense was potentially underrated. Uh, you know, Philip Lahm could play at right back, could play as a central defensive midfielder. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's difficult for me to remember 2014 that side how it actually played yeah. as well. So to kind of compare it, I I'm not really comfortable doing it because I, I think it's well, one of those things where it's easy to make a sort of posturing argument and we, we were going through a Twitter thread earlier where two people had had a row about this and you kind of think well, A, what's the point of having a row about it but also d- d- teams that are made up of different players are always going to have different strengths and weaknesses and, yeah. and unless you sort of play the two together or watch footage of the two sides Consistently playing against different teams and seeing how they're doing, yeah. Comparing like for like is is kind of a, a fool's errand, really. Well, in that case, let's uh, talk about Sweden briefly. Um, we, we were chatting about how the group looks now, uh, and it's it's funny. It's this particular situation in the last five minutes of this game, where uh, as it stood, you know, Germany were almost uh, without hope in terms of progressing after the Crow goal. It would seem now that Sweden are almost without hope of progressing because it, 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 let's say that they did beat Mexico, who are already on six points. Germany are likely to beat Korea Republic. Germany will then be on six points. Be, the top three teams will all be on six points and it will come down to goal difference and it will be a case of Sweden thinking, as you mentioned outside, before the game against Mexico starts, right, how many goals do we need to win this by to make sure that Germany don't surpasses on goal and, and and with the games being played simultaneously they're not going to know that no. so in the what I consider highly unlikely event that Sweden are one or two goals up with 10 minutes to go there's mm. going to be some fairly frantic you know right okay A is this enough at this point in time mm-hmm. B if it is what do we then do do mm. we then sit right right back mm. and just desperately try not to concede mm. which you know, maybe you can do for five minutes, possibly for ten, fifteen. You know, it, mm. it gets really quite difficult um, to to manage a game like that. And and what we've seen from this performance here is that you know Sweden were not able to close out a game in which they had every advantage. Yeah, I saw a tweet from uh, Duncan Alexander of Opta saying that Sweden had about seventeen percent possession. Right. After Bertang had been sent off, right, yeah, and that's poor game management. Mm. So that the decision not to square the ball for the open goal, you know, this is this is not a Sweden team who are necessarily going to be comfortable seeing out a match no. with a one or two goal cushion for ten or fifteen minutes, or even getting to the two goal cushion. Well, that's more, I think, the issue. That's mm. why I say it's, in my opinion, an unlikely yeah. thing for them even to have to consider because yeah. I, I think. 
I think Mexico will be comfortable against the Sweden side. Mm. Okay, well, it's been a fascinating uh, day, in particular that, that final game. As I said, I, I, I feel a little bit deflated. I'm not really sure why. Football wins in the end, doesn't it, Alex? And uh, we saw a, a last-minute goal. We saw a, a team uh, who had no hope of uh, progressing now, almost certainly progressing. There's been a lot of drama. But for some reason, I feel a little bit sad inside. Could just be uh, Saturday night. Could just be. Could, could, could be that everyone's out on Saturday night having fun and... Where, well, uh, I'd rather yeah. be at home in, in having fun, not alone. You know, that's how. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, watching Saturday Night Fever or something, or right. you know, uh, listening yeah. to my favourite musical soundtrack, something like that. You I've know. got at least, I think, one episode of Coronation Street to catch up on. Well, that's something of an omission, isn't it? So, uh, an, an admission. Admission. An admission. Or, I mean, it is an omission. You, yeah. you, it was an omission until you just omitted it. Yeah. Ad, 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 oh God, Christ. Right. Well, that'll do. Um, we'll be back tomorrow for more games of football. Uh, the games are England. Oh, it's England tomorrow. <laughs> right, okay, and I'm feeling a we'll, little bit more we'll excited. We'll be back again. for England. Oh, yeah, England. It's oh, England tomorrow. Guys. It's England tomorrow. Yeah. And Poland, Senegal, Colombia, Japan. Yes, it is, Colombia, Japan. Can you say that again? No, yeah, well, I didn't mean to say it in that. that. I was saying that because of uncertainty rather than doing a racial stereotype. No, I'm, it's Japan against Senegal, Colombia against Poland. Right. And England against Panama, but, okay. but not in that order. No, and just to be clear, uh, I wasn't doing a Japanese accent. I, I was saying something with uncertainty, and it uh, Colombia, Japan. It came out a yeah. little bit. It sounded a little bit like I was doing something bad. I wasn't, and the only reason I'm explaining this now is because I'm too tired to edit that out completely. And we've got a Senegal video out tomorrow. Yes, we do. And Monday we will have a, a video out, which is about oh whether Serbia can beat Brazil. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there'll be plenty more. There's one every day, isn't there? Um, <coughs> I'd like to point out it's more how Serbia might beat Brazil than whether they can. The we, words are interchangeable. We try and do explanation rather than prediction. Yeah, but uh, if they might, they can. They can do it. Well, I mean, obviously they can. Well, then what's any, wrong with any, what I said? I just how Serbia can beat Brazil. Yeah. Not how they can and will. Yeah. Okay. I didn't say will. I. You know what I mean. I'm cautious about making it look like we're. Yeah, but you've got to find the balance, haven't you? Because yeah. if you say how they might be Brazil... It sounds equivocal. Yeah. If you say how they can be Brazil, yeah. it's technically accurate. Why they will be Brazil. Yeah. I mean, and whatever Serbia happens... 2-1. Pre- precisely. And, uh, you know, viewers of our Tifa videos might know if they peruse the comments sections uh, after videos. Uh, well, I'm just, think, just trying to think of a good example recently. Uh, the Argentina one, for mm. example. We, we talked about how Argentina might want to change their setup, might get a better result from that. Uh, broadly speaking, they changed their setup to what, what you had suggested, Alex. They The result didn't come with it. Yeah. Um, and then someone left a comment saying, oh, you should probably take this video down now. <laughs> which is uh, You should probably come down to the old red line and fight me. Oh, dear me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fair point. The, the videos are more about how uh, the... The team might play, and, and particular, in, in, well, the Serbia Brazil one in particular is interesting. Areas of weakness on the pitch where the game might be fought and won or lost. Yeah, and that's and mm. that to me, I, yes, I'm, I, I suppose what I mean is like <clears throat> Germany have won today. Mm. What our video in terms of the Mexico Germany game showed was. Yeah. Sorry, it just sounded like you were saying something. Germany won today. What video show is this? <laughs> it sounded like you were saying something really simple. Just you're tired. Yeah. Um, we, 
you know, we, we showed how Mexico beat Germany and what those areas of vulnerability are. Now mm. somebody could then look at that and go, oh yeah, but Germany won today. The point being that they won without addressing those issues mm. that we highlighted. Those mm. issues are still there. We're not trying to predict no. that Sweden are going to go and beat Germany. We're saying... I did. I, I predicted a draw. You man. predicted a draw. You I were so close. No. I predicted a 1-0 to Germany, so I had the correct margin, but the wrong result. Mm, yeah. Okay, well, in that case, you, you won't hear from us until after the England game tomorrow, so I'd like a prediction from you, Alex, about the England game. England-Panama is the early kickoff. Yeah, 2-0. 2-0. Two two yeah. Do you know what I'm going to say? 1-0 Panama. No, I'm going to say 5-0. 5-0? I think it's going to be 5-0. And I've been right once so far. Okay. I, and that, I don't think that's unreasonable. Get an early goal in there. Yeah. All of a sudden, Raheem Sterling hat trick. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Right. Well, we'll uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Philippe will be back, and um, we'll be uh, tense and nervous, and hopefully enjoying ourselves. All right. See you later. <laughs>